Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Open our ears. Open, our, open our, our spiritual eyes to see the things of God, to see the kingdom of God. And we ask you to touch our hearts, Lord. We would present to you soft, tender hearts. We want to we see it and we want to believe it. Lord, we want to fix our eyes on the goal, on you and all you've promised us, and to live our lives accordingly. Would hope burn inside us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The coming kingdom. Imagine living in a world with no enemy armies or criminals, on land so fertile that even the desert blooms, with rainfall that's abundant and predictable. Each day is so peaceful and full of God's spirit that nearly everyone lives out their full lifespan. And since their children don't die prematurely, families become enormous in a matter of a few generations. Yet there is still plenty of food and room for everyone. Not even animals become ill or attack one another. It's a place so safe, no one keeps a weapon. And people allow their farm animals to roam freely. In that world, there are no poor or outcasts. Imagine a government with absolutely no corruption. Uh, yeah, I knew I got amens last night too. And I'll get them tomorrow in the next service, yeah. Amen. All right. Uh, a court system that makes only just decisions based on all the facts. Local leaders who really care about you and are happy to pray for you. National and regional jealousies are kept firmly under control. And there are no political prisoners. Imagine a world in which atheism... And all forms of false philosophy and religion have, have ceased. Everyone knows that Jesus is God's divine son. Though some may still refuse to follow him in their hearts, people from every part of the globe make pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to worship Jesus and learn from him. And the age-old separation between Jews and Gentiles has ceased. And this remarkable atmosphere doesn't change with passing generations. Children routinely grow up to love God and follow him. I, that is not just a wish list. I'm, that's not a bunch of things that I concocted and stuck together and said, wouldn't that be nice? Everything there has scriptural basis. That's the kingdom of God. That is what the Bible paints as the coming kingdom of God. Let's go on. What are we waiting for? Over and over again, the Bible presents us with snapshots of the world as it will look when the Messiah comes to establish the kingdom of God on earth. But until then, the world we live in is a badly damaged version of the one in which God intended us to live. But it's become so familiar to us that we forget that this one isn't normal. You know, we often say, well, that's normal, that's human. No, what you're looking at is subnormal. Damaged, 
uh, subhuman, to be honest with you. Uh, it is not what we were created for. It's not what we, who were we created to be. In fact, compared to what God originally designed, it's very subnormal. And we human beings aren't functioning anywhere near the capacity God intended for us. I mean, think of it, you know, a, a, a child is born with, what is it, 10,000 times more synapses and all of that in their brains than they'll ever, they use? What's that about? Why would he, why would, how do you accidentally evolve into that, huh? That's a, that's a clever evolving, you know, just one little mutation of something somewhere down that old genome and there you go, 10,000 more brain cells than you need. That's absurd, isn't it? Yeah, the whole thing's absurd. Uh, I'll stop. All right, back to this. <laughs> I have my buttons. All right, let's just go on. Everything and everybody is broken and sin-filled. And the cause of all this breakdown is not a mystery. God gave us enough freedom to rebel against him. And that rebellion has affected everything. But as we'll soon see, God will not allow this broken situation to continue forever. He always brings things back to his original plan. Would you read that sentence? He always brings things back. That's really important to see. God does not have plan B. It doesn't exist. If plan A is the right plan, he's not going to come up and, and, and morph that plan to, for something else. Plan B would be sinful. Plan B is contaminated. He, if God has a plan, it's plan A. And he never comes off of plan A. But he does get to it a different way. If, you and, if he gives us the freedom to rebel against him, which we have done, and we've got this mess on the planet, well, he'll get to where he was going to go another way. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus came. That's, you know, this, that's, why, that's how he works with you too. You and, I can, you and I can do all kinds of stuff, but man, he doesn't change on who he wants us to be. Just never changes. Just how and where we'll express it. That can change. But who he's planned you to be is who he's planned you to be. At an appointed time that only he knows. Say only he knows. He will send his Messiah to rule the earth. Now, I won't, I won't do much with this, but let me just say, somebody is always trying to come up with a date for the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, there was just one a few weeks ago, I guess. I didn't even know it. I'm, I'm not even, I'm so out of it. Um, it went sailing by and somebody said, yeah, that was the date. And uh, I trust you're not so gullible that you're buying that stuff. Uh, they'll set it with time frames, Jewish history. Uh, they always clock it. Uh, it is not based on a clock. God is not driving this. He is, he's in charge. He said, Jesus says he doesn't know. Right? If he doesn't know, the Lord has not told you. That's no fun, is it? But it's simply the truth. You don't know. None of these know. But it does hit a nerve in people. And it sells. They, you sell books, you get on TV, you get, you get huge crowds, and then, then, of course, then the date passes and you come up with some spiritual explanation that, I mean, this is, goes back to the, now I won't start naming groups, but, but this is, I mean, this, this is as old as the hills. And you mustn't keep following down that path. You and I have an assignment. It's to occupy till he comes. And, and honestly, you, you and I need to be found busy. 
doing what he's called us to do, winning souls, and he'll handle the calendar. But I'll tell you what he's watching for. God is a great harvester. This whole thing, we are living in a, in a mystery, a season of mystery. That was, that's in the, it's, it's mentioned in the Old Testament indirectly. It's not clear. But it's this expanded time of evangelism, of harvest, in which God is gathering in billions of souls. What does he want? He wants his house full. He wants as many children as possible. He doesn't run out of love. He doesn't run out of knowledge. He doesn't run out of capacity to know the next one. It isn't like, man, I got enough. Whew, what am I going to do with all these? There's none of that in God. This is the one that spoke and the universe exploded into existence. And so his great loving heart wants as many as possible. And so he has literally delayed for at least 2,000 years how many are glad he did. Yeah, he's glad he did too uh, because he was waiting for you. And he's waiting for some others too. That's what this is about. And what he's doing, if you look at the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation shows that this season of harvest does come to an end. And the way it comes to an end is by the earth dividing into really two camps. Those who love the Lord and would die for him, and many will by the end of it, and those who hate his guts. It's, there's no middle ground. The, the fence is gone. The straddling, the indifference, the ignorance is gone. I picture it in my own mind like, like God taking a wet towel and just wringing out every last drop. And as you read the book of Revelation, you see how that ringing takes place. He just rings the earth of the last soul that will come to him. And then, and then the end comes. That's what he's waiting for. And it has to do with harvest, not dates, nor astronomy. Maybe there'll be stars, who knows, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? It's about harvest. It's about people. That's what he wants us focused on. What an interesting scenario. There is an era of history coming in which people will have no choice but to obey God. Even if they don't want to, they will have to live righteously. And the result will be amazing. A planet that is no, that's no longer cursed. A human population living at peace. And God's presence so strong is like the waters that cover the sea. Isn't that beautiful? The earth will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It will be immersed into the very presence of God. Paul says, even creation itself groans waiting for that moment when it will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Let me show you uh, this. Go with me if you've got your Bible to, to Romans chapter 8. Paul, Jesus, Paul, they all understood what, we're, what I'm talking about. This is deeply Jewish. And you know, I was just thinking about it. Judaism has, has ignored the, 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 the strong prophetic passages that talk about a suffering Messiah who will come and die for our sins. But Christianity has forgotten the glorious return of Messiah to set up his kingdom on earth. Both groups have fought, have lost, lost the truth. It's, it's, how, how about we, we believe both? 
Is that okay if we, if we see the whole picture? Well, Paul obviously sees the whole picture and listen to him because he's talking about what I'm talking about today. And I'll, I'll show you more. I'll start at verse 18 in chapter 8 of Romans. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation. He's talking about the planet. He's talking about plants, animals, the stars, this huge. He said the whole creation anxiously is waiting for an event. What are they waiting for? Look at the next line. Come on. Have you had your Bibles open? Are you there? Okay. Has someone hit the mute button? For what? Come on. Do it again. Revealing of the sons of God, or the manifestation of the sons of God, is the way King James does it, and that's a a better translation, actually, of the the Greek. They're waiting for who? Who's the sons of God? Raise your hands if you're a son of God. And I better see women's hands up, too. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's for the revealing... Of the sons of God. What's that mean? Well, let's go on. For the creation was subjected to futility. Death, decay, violence, all the curse. Flooded over the planet, over the animals, over the plants. Haven't you noticed that this planet's cursed? Man, doesn't, if it can go wrong, it will. And at the worst possible time. That's Murphy's Law. You know Murphy's wife's law? If it can go wrong, it will when Murphy's out of town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but ha- haven't, you, haven't you experienced it? Didn't there be something like that? If, if you drop a piece of toast, it's going down peanut butter first. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's, you think, how did you do that? A flip right in the air. I mean, it has it against you. No, it's, it's cursed. It does. Everything works wrong. Weeds grow so well. Plant, plant, plant your flowers. They'll die. Something will eat them. But the weeds, mm, they're feeling good. Perfect. Right? That's, that's not an accident. That is actually the reverse of the way it's supposed to work. It is a cursed planet you're you're seeing so creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it wow in hope that this will be reversed now he our our heavenly father knows it's going to be reversed there's no there's no I wonder if it might happen but in the hope of the future that a day will come when this planet see we're talking about the creation we're not even talking we're talking about the very creation that it too will be delivered ah that creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption, death and sickness and violence. Into what? Now, here we go again. The freedom of the glory of who? How? Oh, the day comes when you and I will rise up in our glory and we will rule this planet and the curse will be gone. It's waiting for you to rule it well. Not, not strip mine it. Not exploit it, not contaminate it, not use it up, not be violent and go out and recreational hunting and stuff. That all's gonna go. 
For we know that the whole group, the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together. Together with who? Us. Together with us. Until now. And not only this, says Paul, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, we who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's what he's mean. Even we groan within ourselves, don't you? Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Some of us are in pain this morning. Some of us are fighting disease right now. Won't it be wonderful when you have your resurrection body? When pain is gone, when sorrow is gone. Some of us are fighting addictions and temptation that's just ferocious. Won't it be lovely when your body doesn't do that to you? Won't it be peaceful when all of a sudden we can be who we are and love the Lord and worship him without all that temptation, all that distraction, the pain, the issues, the, the swelling, surging um, emotions. Hallelujah. We groan. For, and then I'll, I'll, I'll just got to read this because it's so beautiful. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. This isn't it, says Paul. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, the coming kingdom, the day of, of, of deliverance from all of this, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Hallelujah. All right, let's go back. Paul sees this kingdom. That's what he's talking about. And he says, I'm suffering an awful lot of things right now. He says, I, I'm covered with scars. I, I, I'm, a, I'm imprisoned regularly. I am suffering all these things. He says, but I count this nothing compared to what's waiting for me. You see? He, he sees the future. And that allows him to live the present with a, as, with the way he does. When will it arrive? The Old Testament prophets frequently pictured this coming earthly kingdom. And the New Testament mentions it, but not extensively, not in the detail. And that has led many believers to assume that the final judgment and the heavens, new heavens and earth occur immediately after Jesus' return. How many people think, well, Jesus is going to come and then it all ends and we go to heaven? That's just not what it says. In their minds, he is coming back to take us to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. The book of Revelation specifically states that there will be a thousand year period of time between the battle of Armageddon, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second, and the final judgment. The Bible only mentions that thousand years once. And I, I remember a professor I had at Fuller, uh, George Ladd, and, and he, he was coming on this thing and he says, so the Bible only mentions it once. He says, how many times does the Bible have to say a thing before it's true? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, once, it'd be fine. It actually refers to it, as I just pointed to. I mean, that's a passage where Paul's exactly referring to this. But it says it once there in, in the book of Revelation. And it is between the battle of Armageddon. Let me remind you what that is. That's the, there's a final battle. And Armageddon is not the destruction of the world. At all. Armageddon is when a, a, the Antichrist's kingdom of ten nations uh, which have formed come against Israel. And in Jerusalem. And, they, they're, they're all, and in the course of it, they are, they, are, they are beating and destroying Israel. And Jesus comes in his glory and with a word of his mouth, 
he destroys them. Actually, the book of Revelation tells us one of the ways he does it. He sends a hundred pound hailstones. And he calls it the wine press of God's wrath. No kidding. Ooh, I won't get vivid. That, but just think about, think of a hundred pound hailstone. Think of what the little ones do to your car. Yeah, a hundred pound. I mean, never, okay, stop. Um, so so we, have, we have the battle of Armageddon. In the battle of Armageddon, the enemy armies are destroyed. But there are billions of people left on planet Earth. Do you follow this? They're not all dead. Now, they've gone through a wild ride. They've gone through the, the seals. They've gone through the, tru- the, 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 the trumpets. They've gone through the bold judgments, all of these things. So you've had, you've had the sea turn red and stink. You've had meteorites hit this place. I mean, this has been a wild ride. But you still have billions of people on this planet. They're alive. They're mortal. And they don't know the Lord. John doesn't describe what takes place during those years except to say that the resurrected believers will reign with Christ. But the prophets certainly do. And Jesus, by statements he makes in his teachings, shows that he expected his followers to participate in that kingdom. I want to show, I'll just show you one of those. Look at Luke 19. just want you to see these references. If you understand this coming kingdom... The references make perfect sense. If you, if you don't, you think, why did he say that? Maybe and you just assume it was sort of a toss-off remark. Uh, Luke 19, this is the parable of the minas. That's an amount of money. It says this nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself. My goodness, who might that be? And then he returns, and then he calls on his servants. Who would that be? That would be us. And, and he asks them, what did you do with what I gave you? And his, they come back. And uh, after he was, the first one appeared before him and says, Master, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, I'm verse 16 and 17 there. He said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You will be in authority over what? 10 cities. Is that just a toss off? Is that just part of the parable? Or does he mean it? Does he mean it? Well, he'll actually say the same things to his own disciples. He said, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna sit in the th- thrones over, over, the, over the 12 tribes of Israel. He starts talking about assignments. And this, he who is faithful in a little thing, I will make master over much. He who is faithful now, he who, who shows themselves faithful now, I will give assignment in that which is to come. Remember, uh, there was an event where Jesus' aunt uh, Salome, as far as I can see, and I mean, I can show you how I get there. It's very, pretty clear. She is Mary, his mother's sister. Well, her two sons are James and John. So James and John are Jesus' first cousins. So, so Aunt Salome shows up with his two cousins, and he, she says to him, when you come into your kingdom, and she's thinking this all the way, would you put them on your right and on your left hand? In other words, be, be your top um, uh, uh, in your government. And his comment was, that's not for me to decide, first of all. Then he asked, he said, uh, you know, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's one stupid remark. <laughs> you are just so out of touch right about now. 
And he says, and you will. James is the first one who's beaten to death with laundromats. Um, and you will, he says, but for who sits on my right and left, that's not for me to give. That's not for me to give. They were, they're thinking kingdom. And what Jesus knew is, is he's, and Jesus fully saw this. He said, there's going to be a long extended period of time of harvest. So he says, when he, the resurrected Lord stands in front of his disciples, they, they say to him, is it now you're going to restore the kingdom? And they mean this. And he says, that's not for you to know. I don't know. You don't know. Your job is to take my gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the most remote parts of the earth. Go. Got it? That's still the assignment. That's what we're living in right now. That's what you're doing. That's why why we just prayed for a team in Niger, Africa. That's why we've got a group going to Salisham this afternoon. That's why, you name it. That's, the, that's, that's what this is about. We're in the season of gathering in children for God. Hallelujah. So if you and I don't recognize that there is another chapter of earth's history awaiting us after this one, much of what Jesus and Paul say about the future doesn't make sense. Actually, unless this messianic kingdom, which we sometimes call the millennium, same thing, literally takes place, literally takes place, a large portion of Old Testament prophecy will go unfulfilled. What those prophets describe cannot be spiritualized away. They picture specific wars, places, forms of worship, even buildings. To help us see how these prophecies fit into God's overall plan, let's divide human history into five chapters. We, we so often talk about Old Testament prophecy pointing to Jesus. And we, and, and, and we, we point to the chapters that speak of, of him suffering and dying for our sins. Hallelujah. Those are absolutely real. They are clear. They are unavoidable. Uh, there they are. The strong theme that this Messiah will die for us to atone our sins. That, that, that there's no works righteousness, no obedience to the law that will ever bring righteousness. That Messiah has to die in our place. And that by faith in him we are given the gift of righteousness. That is there. But that is actually a smaller portion of prophecy by far. Than the descriptions of the glories of the kingdom of God. Isn't it? Haven't you read all that stuff about camels covering the land and going, camels covering the land? What is? You know, and, and there, you know, all of this and the and the, the the lion laying down with the lamb and and the, the wolf growing mild, you know, this this child playing by the, the, the adder's hole and not being bitten. You, you the, the 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 dead sea turning fresh and being filled with fish. Is that just poetry? I mean, now that Jesus came, do we forget all that? Does that happen? I mean, we're all floating around in heaven, right? That is all must be fulfilled. It's as clearly prophetic as his dying on the cross for us. Do you follow? God, when he says it, he means it. Here we go. Five chapters of human history. From the Bible's point of view, Human history, past, present, and future, can be divided into at least five distinct seasons or chapters. Chapter 1, this was the season of unbroken fellowship with God, 
which Adam and Eve experienced before they sinned. We do not know how long it lasted. My suspicion is not very long. He had told them to be fruitful and multiply, and Eve wasn't pregnant. Uh, so I'm thinking not very long. They, it may have been a matter of days or weeks or who knows uh, before they finally uh, took that fruit from the tree and decided that they would decide evil for, and good for themselves. Chapter 2. This was the long period of history between the Garden of Eden and the arrival of the Messiah. Jesus, during this chapter, humans proved that they cannot obey God's commands sufficiently to become righteous. And God prepared a family into which his promised Messiah could be born. That's what so much of that history is about. Abraham and Sarah walked with God in faith. He said, I will now bless your children. Then he picks one of their, of their grandchildren, Judah. And then through the line of Judah, he calls out the family of David. And then finally, Mary of Nazareth, Mary of Bethlehem actually, uh, is, the, is the woman through whom God brings his Messiah. He brings his son into the world as a, as a human being. Chapter 3, this is the period of history between Jesus Christ's first coming as the Lamb of God to die for our sins and his second coming as the Lord of Lords to rule the earth. This season in which you and I are now living was not clearly revealed in the Old Testament. Until Jesus came, it remained a mystery. It is a season for the gathering in of souls particularly Gentiles. Let me show you that statement, particularly Gentiles. Look at Romans 11. I didn't write all these out for us. Romans 11, verse 25, Paul says, I don't want you to be, to, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then he speaks of, these, of the final this coming kingdom. And I'll say more. So, that, so all Israel will be saved. He, he does not cause unbelief ever. But what he, he, what he was commenting on is the, that, that so much of, of, of Israel at the time had reacted so angrily and so harshly to him. And then when he would turn and go to these Gentiles who had no prophets in the background, they, their history was immoral. God, they served all of these crazy gods. Um, they were just wild people. Yet when he preached the gospel to them, they believed. They repented and believed by large numbers. And he just sort of, he says, I don't know what's going on, but God sees, he loves souls. And so he's going to prolong this period of time, however long it is, while he gathers in all of these. Well, how long has that been? Well, it's so far, it's been a couple thousand years. And it doesn't, it doesn't, there, are, there are Jewish people coming to the Lord, and they're more and more right now. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it, it delights the Lord's heart greatly. Uh, but he, God ultimately uh, loves all equally. And so when he has people coming all over this planet to know him, this is, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. So you're living in what was in the Bible is mentioned, but now you're discovering this long season of harvest. It's a mystery that you're living in and you're part of. The battle of Armageddon will be the final. Did I, did I read that? And God continues to extend this season 
in order to permit as many people as possible to repent and believe. Peter says that. He says, God is not slow concerning his promise, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. So God continues to, to delay. The father delays his son's return while, pe- while this harvest that I mentioned is going on. That's why I say it's not about a date. It's not about astronomy. It is about people coming to the Lord. Are they coming to the Lord right now in greater numbers than ever in history? If you think he's going to shut it down, you're crazy. That is absolutely absurd. You don't understand the heart of God. He is harvesting right now at an enormous rate. How many, how many new believers are in Niger as, because of the last week or, or so? 83. Do you think he cared about them? Do you think he would have shut it down last week? Was it two weeks ago he was supposed to come? Something like that? Does he, no. He knew 81 who were coming. And he waits for the 81. You understand? And until this harvest stops, and I said to you, as you look at the book of Revelation, it will come to a halt. Pressures are rising, and you're seeing it now. Do you see the world dividing? Do you see people who hate Jesus' guts? And do you see people who are dying for him and, and, and willing to do so? Yes, you do. And you're watching the planet divide. You're watching the planet move toward the final. But we're not there yet. Hallelujah. Right now, hundreds of thousands of people around the world are coming to Christ. And it's a glorious time you live in. Chapter 4. This is the chapter we often miss. It is the thousand year period between the return of Christ and the final judgment. God's kingdom will come to the earth and resurrected saints will govern and minister under Jesus' direction. Who, will be, who, who in here is going to be part of that process? You know, come on, all the way up if you would. Just like you really knew it was going to be Okay. If you, if you aren't, would you see me afterwards? I, I, I want to pray with you. Okay. All right. Here are several important facts about that season. A, the earth will still be populated by a large number of people who have not been resurrected, but who survived the events of the last days, the seals, trumpets, and bowls. So during this season, evangelism and death will continue. Have you ever wondered, as you're reading through Isaiah, and it says, uh, if those who die early will be thought accursed. You're going, wait a minute, he's back. Why? I mean, who's, what do you mean die? Die. That's exactly what it means. It's this period of time. Yes, yes indeed. They die early, they'll be thought accursed, because they will be. That means something really wrong. They still have a will. Those who become, became believers before Christ's return, those who had died and those still alive will be resurrected and gathered to him in the air and will return to the earth with him. When this, when this happens, when, when, when there, you've got this Armageddon going, you've got this battle thing going and all, this is the shift right here. At, at some point, the Lord comes and he himself delivers his people. And he comes in the air and he comes, Paul tells us, he says, he says, don't you worry about those who died who know the Lord. He says, they, will, they are the ones first resurrected. 
So somehow there will be, there'll be this resurrection of the dead. Everyone who's, who's died in, in believing in the Lord, Old and New Testaments, but walk with God. Here they come, boom, up, up and alive. And they're coming with him in the air. Won't that be a sight? And, and, he, 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 and then it says, and those who, al- who are alive and remain, in other words, you are still walking the planet, you haven't died when that happens. He says, they will meet him. So you get resurrected on the spot. Ooh, boy, do I feel good. Woo. Man, my back is great. You know, and, and, and then up you go. And you meet him in the air, and you, we, we all come, this great host, come with the Lord as he, as he just with the word of his mouth destroys this army. And then you see, he begins to set up his righteous kingdom on the planet. And you and I rule and reign with Christ. We are deputies of his. And that, that, that doesn't mean we boss everybody around. It means we bring the righteousness and the love of God. And we share Christ. Because salvation will still be taking place. They will be in solid recognizable bodies. And they will be immortal. You think, how can this be? All right, think about it. When Jesus was resurrected as our prototype, here he is, did they recognize him? Now, one group didn't, but that was a whole, they were, they were it was his couple of cousins, I think, uh, Cleopas and, and uh, was Mary, and uh, they didn't get it, but uh, he then opened their eyes to it. But it was him, wasn't it? In fact, the strange thing was, he'd, he'd, he'd come into the room, and he let them poke at him, remember that? They're going... You know, and looking at the scars, and he says, you want to touch my side, Thomas? He goes, no. You know, I got it. And, and then they had him eat, he ate a piece of fish. He ate. You can eat. Come on. <laughs> thousand years. He ate some fish, and they're watching to see if it'll fall out or something, you know. <laughs> they, they, they can hardly believe their eyes. So he, he proved himself. He walked there. He, he's, I'm telling you, this, this resurrection body, it's a resurrection body. You're not a vapor. You're not a ghost. You're, his original plan to have humans with him forever on a glorious planet, our assignment was to, to what? He, Psalm 8 says, that he says, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength that thou mightest still the enemy and avenger. God had said to Adam and Eve, have children, take over this planet and drive back the devil. Our, our assignment is to do exactly that. Is to, well, he'll, the devil will be toasted here at some point. But, uh, bad word. Uh, but we will, we, will, we will rule and bring the righteousness of God to this planet. That's our assignment. That's your assignment. You're a warrior. You're a ruler. You're meant to extend the kingdom of God. So we will, you will be in one of those bodies like he has. And you'll, you'll be you. They will be assigned to specific cities and areas of the earth. And they will rule and minister as Jesus' deputies. B, during those thousand years the population of mortal humans will expand because God's righteousness will be enforced and therefore death and disease will be rare. So the families and babies are going to be born. Children are going to be born. These are mortal children. Won't that be interesting? You're immortal. They're mortal. But you can interact. You can still, you, you, you can totally function with them. Even though the devil will be bound during those years, 
many people will still refuse to truly surrender to Christ. That is really interesting. Proving that though the devil tempts us to sin, he cannot be blamed for our rebellion against God. During that season, with Jesus physically present on earth, there will still be individuals who rebel against him. It says at the very end of it, the devil will be released again, and an enormous army will try to pull a coup against Jesus. Can you, can you figure that out? It's just in, nuts. See, Jesus will set up his throne in Jerusalem, and many Gentiles will travel there to meet him. Jesus, who had, who, pardon me, Jews who had been dispersed all over the world will return to Israel and will accept Jesus as their crucified and resurrected Messiah. What's, what's Zechariah 12.10 say? It says, they will look upon him who they pierced and they will mourn as one mourns the loss of their child. Oh, Lord Jesus. And this great mourning will come over the people of God. They realize he is our Savior. He is our Messiah. I, you know, right now there's this uh, thing going on. Uh, somebody told me about this website. I went to and saw it. It's called the, I think it's called the forbidden, Isaiah 53, the forbidden chapter, something like that. And there's a young man in Israel, and he just walks around. Uh, he's, he's a Jewish young man. And he just, he, he meets people on the street and says, have you heard of this? And he, and he reads to them Isaiah 53 and says, what do you think that means? And then you watch just plain secular Jews on the street going, well, that means he died for us. You know, and he begins to lead them through. It's just very, po very potent, very powerful. This has been the one. They actually don't read it in the, in the synagogues. They avoid it. It's simply too awkward. I'm praying a lot. I pray for Israel every day. I don't know about you. I fact, I pray for Egypt and Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon. Uh, anyway, right on through. I pray for those, that whole area. But I'm praying that the eyes would be open to the scripture. And that self-righteousness, the works righteousness, would be insufficient. Because see, that's where it goes. That's, you know, that's what the Sermon on the Mount's about. When Jesus, Jesus takes people who are trying to earn through the law their righteousness. And what he does is he goes internal. And he says, you may keep the outward law. You may not have killed anyone. But in your heart, with your anger, you violated the law of God. He says, you may not have actually slept with someone else's wife, but you've lusted in your heart, and in your heart you've sinned against the, against the commands of God, haven't you? And this is exactly what Paul says. He says, I, he says, I could keep all the law. He says, but when it told me not to covet, I couldn't stop my heart from coveting. I violate the law. My self-righteousness is not enough. I need the mercy of God. You follow this? This is the heart of the issue. This is the heart of the issue. Jesus is so insulting. When he, God sends him to say, you have so failed to keep my righteousness, I must allow my son to die violently in your place as a sacrifice so that I might give you mercy. It's insulting. Hallelujah. It is insulting to us. It says you can't live well enough to please me. I've got to give you righteousness. And that's, that's being discovered. That's being, that's, you want to pray right now. Just pray that eyes open, ears hear, hearts are softened. Because this is the issue right now that's coming. Their uh, lifespan will be comparable, he sa Isaiah says, to a tree. Chapter 5. At the end of this thousand year period, 
a second resurrection will take place. And then God will judge the devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all who refuse to repent and receive his mercy by faith. At that time, God will allow his undiminished glory to radiate through the universe. And it will destroy the old universe. Now listen, this, pla this planet as it is, the stars, the moon, the, the, this, you know, you look at these through the telescope out into this enormous universe. What's going to happen? Here's what, as I, as, I, as I put it together and see it there. Right now, our Heavenly Father has restrained his glory. If he didn't, if he let it go, he would destroy everything. Do you know that the glory of God is a, is a, is a powerful fire? It, it, isn't, it isn't combustion, but it's a powerful fire. Think when people have seen it in the, in the Bible. There's examples of people who see this brilliant glory of God and what it did to them. Think of somebody. Paul, there's another one. Let's start in the Old Testament with Moses. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says to him, I can't show you my glory. I'll fry you like a bug. He says, but what I'll do for you, he says, I'm going to stick you in this, in, this, in this cave and I'll cover you with my hand. And then I'm going to pass and be heading away from you. <laughs> and he says, I'll let you see my backside as I leave. And what did that do to Moses? His very skin glowed. It, 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 it lit him up. Some, you mentioned Paul. What happened? Paul saw the glory of God. Where did he see it? On the road to Damascus, he saw Jesus. And Paul, being Paul, stared right at it. You know? Now, if he'd had these solar glasses that, that for the uh, solar thing, you know, he might have been able to do that. But he didn't have them. And he did what you hopefully did not do, like looking right at the sun. This was brighter than the sun, it says. So he stared at it. And what did it do? blinded his eyes yeah and they they gooed over they oozed I think is how you get those scales that fell off so his eyes are literally just just damaged from this thing and, and are, have oozed and dried over that's the power of the glory of God right now he our father restrains it's, it's present somewhere in heaven where, wherever and however that is but there will come a day and aren't we grateful when our heavenly father will no longer restrain his glory and he will let that glory loose. And it will go through the universe and it will literally evaporate the universe. Where do I get that? It says the heavens and earth fled away from his presence and they were, there was no place found for them. He evaporates the universe. And then it says, and he created a new heaven and earth. Do you have that? A new heaven and earth. He creates a new planet, new stars, new universe, new, the whole thing. Only this one is resurrected. This one is now at another level. It, as you're, the reason, one of the key reasons that you're resurrected is that you can endure the glory of God and not be destroyed by it. As children of God, you will go right into his presence with this, 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 this glory. And it'll not destroy you. It'll not blind you. You will live in it. In fact, the city you live in won't have a sun. Won't need one. For the brilliance of the glory of God will illuminate the city. You follow this? It all makes total sense. It makes total sense. Your, so your body's resurrected. Well, so is the planet. So, so is everything. 
so that we live in his glory forever and ever. Soon, sorrow, death will no longer be present. As children of God, we will live forever in the unbroken, joyous fellowship with him. The final number of people who are saved will be complete. How does this change us? If there were no beautiful future waiting for us, if life simply ended at death, then it would only make sense to wring as much pleasure out of it as possible. But if Jesus is coming suddenly, and maybe very soon, then that fact changes our perspective about everything. The life we are living now becomes a prelude to something much better. Against that backdrop, Many people are willing to deny themselves pleasures in this life in order to have the future pleasure of being in God's presence. There are people dying for their faith, standing and declaring the Lord, putting themselves at risk. Why? Because of this. Many are willing to suffer hardship and injustice now in order to live in a world without them. Service of others, self-discipline, courage, and a supernatural source of comfort in the face of death, all flow out of this promise. To successfully live the life of a disciple, it is essential to have this perspective. It brings, first of all, accountability. Without it, our fear of God declines. We're told, not only are we told that unbelievers will stand before him, we're told that we as believers will stand before our Lord and give an account of our life. Numerous parables. They just get ignored because people are scared of that. I, I, rather than be scared of it, I take it into account. I will stand before the Lord. He'll say, what did you do with what I gave you? And I get to, I get to give an answer. My salvation is based on my, my righteousness by faith. But I would like to bring him something that pleases him. Which is people who've met the love of God and the life of God through me in whatever way I could. Justice. Without it, our moral outrage over the evil around us is turned toward God. If there were no justice, if there were no, no, no judgment, and you watch the horrible things that are done, you, it outrages you. But with it, with this knowledge, we realize that no one escapes God's justice unless they sincerely repent and believe. No one gets away with anything. If they don't, and if they sincerely repent and believe, who wants them punished? Compassion, it removes the desire for revenge. Who can wish eternal separation from God on anyone? People, don't you ever have the word damn you come out of your mouth. You can use all kinds of vulgar language if you must, but don't you ever damn anybody or actually anything. Because there is a damnation. And it is so horrible. It chills, the, chills your bones. The people are going to live separated from God. In torment forever. Don't you ever wish them that. It is unspeakable horror. Do you follow me? Say other things if you must. But don't say that. hope. It removes the horror of death. We are confident that we will see our believing loved ones again. Like us, they will have resurrected bodies and we will be together again on a glorious earth. Who are you waiting for? I want to see my grandmother. 
She died before I was born. And boy, by every account, she was the real, <laughs> the real Christian in the family. And I so want to meet her. I have letters from her to her, her daughter, my mother, you know, given her scriptures to read and all of these things. My, didn't do a great deal of good for my mom. I'm, <laughs> you heard, I, I got raised without being a believer because uh, my mom was in real rebellion. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to mom. I'm looking forward to all kinds of people who, I mean, I'm, first thing I'm going for is Jesus. But then I'm looking for my family who knew the Lord. I can hardly wait to see him. I miss my grandfather. Really want to see him. Don't you? Death is a, death is a, is a, is a separation for a season. But I see him again. I, see, I will be with him on a planet, a beautiful one, in a living physical body forever. God has redeemed the brokenness of sin. He has taken the damage that we've created and he's overruled it. You know how Jesus says, he says, you know, for a woman with childbirth, she goes through these terrible pains. But when the child is born, she said she can forget the pain for she now holds this new child. And he says, it's like that with the kingdom. The day will come when the pain and the sorrow and the sufferings of this age as we look at each other and we look at the reality in front of us, we know there's never again sin, sorrow, or sickness. We know never again anything but the glory of the Lord. We'll forget these dark days. We'll forget this, this, the, 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 the times that we're here, at least the bad parts of it. Purpose. We realize that we are being trained here and now for ministry that will take place beyond this present life. Do you realize that? The lessons you're learning, the faith you're learning, the, the, the things about God you're learning, the, the character that's being molded and formed into you doesn't stop when you die. It will now be used in the next chapter. When you rule and reign with Christ, as you begin to minister on his behalf, what you're learning now goes right on into the next season. Our character that's being formed and our development is those who can minister the truth and power of God. We'll all be used when we serve Jesus as Jesus representatives in the millennium. King, thy kingdom come. When Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't teach us to ask, may we go to heaven when we die? We will. But God's ultimate goal for us isn't a conscious existence in a heavenly paradise. Instead, Jesus taught us to ask, and would you pray this with me? May thy kingdom come. May thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our assignment is to ask God the Father to bring his kingdom to earth so that his commands will be obeyed here as completely as they are in the spiritual realm where he dwells in glory. In other words, we're to pray that he will send his Messiah to bring us to us this promised kingdom, this blessed hope, this glorious future. He wants that vision to burn in our hearts because when we see it, it changes the way we think about everything. It becomes to us like a precious treasure hidden in a field. Would you read this with me? Which a man found and hid again and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Lord, may that be true of us. Work that in our hearts that we may see the treasure and we may sell all that we have to buy that treasure, Lord.
Do that deep work in us, we ask. In Jesus' powerful name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.